Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a recommendation from a mysterious listener who truly wants to remain mysterious. The name on their email is simply S. S urged us to listen to Come As You Are from The Price of Fear, calling it amongst the strongest of the series. We'll share some of their reasoning for this later in the podcast. The first season of The Price of Fear aired in September of 1973 on the BBC World Service. The production's popularity warranted a second run of shows in 1974 and a third that aired in 1983. Of course, what made The Price of Fear so special was the show's star, Vincent Price. By the early 70s, Price was a well-established horror icon, thanks to a series of filmed adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe's stories directed by Roger Corman. Long before that, though, he had a full career on the radio, including appearances on Suspense and Escape, most notably the classic radio play Three Skeleton Key. He also lent his debonair voice to the title character on the crime drama The Saint from 1947 to 1951. In The Price of Fear, Price played a fictionalized version of himself, a globe-trotting gourmet and devotee of the arts who just happens to continually find himself in macabre situations. Come As You Are was written for Price of Fear by William Ingram. An actor as well as a writer, Ingram appeared on stage, television, and film before writing his first play, The Rain It Raineth produced at the Hampstead Theatre Club in London in 1959. Although he continued to work in theatre and television, it was radio that gave him the greatest opportunity. Over the course of his career, he wrote and performed in over a hundred radio productions, including half of the scripts for The Price of Fear. And now let's listen to Come As You Are from The Price of Fear, first broadcast on the BBC World Service June 4th, 1974. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. The Price of Fear Brought to you by Vincent Price. My little story for this week I want to call Come As You Are. You know that uh, meaningless concession that gets added onto invitations to a party? You see, it's because the endless business of dressing up is such an integral part of my professional life that among my friends my very positive reluctance to attend any kind of fancy dress party or costume ball is not only well established but understandingly accepted. 
On a recent trip to London, I was genuinely delighted to find an invitation from my old friend Charles Vane awaiting my arrival. It wasn't until I'd reached that key and, to me, ominous phrase, fancy dress will be worn, that my heart sank. The fact that my would-be host had crossed it through and substituted the words, come as you are, afforded little by way of consolation. <laughs> there can be few experiences so desultory as to find oneself sober-suited in the midst of a determined company of let's-pretend Casanovas, paunchy Tarzans, and moth-eaten King Kongs. As I put Charles's invitation back in its envelope, I'd already instinctively decided to decline. But even as I mailed my politely phrased refusal to his kind invitation, I had the distinct feeling that I was not to be let off the hook so lightly. The 2 a.m. phone call confirmed my misgivings. Oh. Uh, hello. Vincent, uh, it's damn well not good enough, do you hear? What? Oh, I'm sorry. Who is that? It's not only not good enough, I'm damn well not going to take no for an answer. Charles. Oh, Charles, is that you? Surprise, surprise. Of course it's Charles. If Mohammed won't go to the mountain, the mountain needs must. <laughs> anyway, who the hell else did you expect it to be? Well, believe it or not, old thing, there are alternatives. Parents, relatives, friends, acquaintances. Oh, you'd be surprised. Oh, would I? Well, yes. I just hope you're not in the habit of treating them in the same shoddy fashion, that's all. Charles, delighted as I am to hear from you. You know it is the middle of the night. Wrong again, Vincent. The early hours of the morning. But what's that got to do with anything? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except that we mere mortals do rather count on a certain quota of sleep. Mere mortals bore me. Oh, yes. It slipped my mind. Please forgive the lapse. I'm forgiving you, damn all. Are you still there? Still here. Uh, it's on account of that damn stupid fancy dress bit, isn't it? So why do you think I changed it to come as you are in the first place? Out of the question. The intimacies of my sleeping attire must remain a closely guarded secret. Don't be skittish. In a way, all I hope is you had sufficient sense to keep the damn thing. The damn... what? The invitation? Yes, of course the invitation is what you're keeping me from my beauty sleep about. I'm keeping you? Yes. Well, on the back you'll find a simple set of directions for getting here. Oh. A child of five could manage it. I've marked the priory with a damn big cross in the top right-hand corner. The priory? The house. My house. You will love it. Oh, yes, I'm sure I would, Charles. But as a matter of fact, I have another appointment. A scriptwriter friend to of mine is coming... To hell with all scribblers. I shall expect you at eight. But, Charles, I honestly don't see how will I can... Will you let me get some sleep, damn you? <laughs> Charles, are you there? Charles? Charles? Oh, blast. Put to the test, Charles's simple set of directions might well have been comprehensible to a five-year-old child. But not having one of them with me in the passenger seat, I spent hours exploring the same piece of countryside in ever-decreasing circles. I was just on the point of returning to London when I spotted the entrance to his drive. And within minutes, I was standing in the hall of one of the most remarkably beautiful houses... It has ever been my pleasure to enter. The party was obviously in full swing.
Let the festivities commence. <laughs> Vincent, you're late, damn it. Oh, Charles, how good to see you. I've been ringing that ridiculous hotel of yours for the best part of the evening. What? Thought you'd gone and funked out at the last minute. Oh, I am sorry about that. Your directions weren't as explicit as you cracked them up to be. Huh? As a matter of fact, as a cartographer, your talent seemed to be singularly lacking. Nonsense. If Columbus had had me aboard, he'd have found the new world at one hell of a lot sooner than he did. <laughs> anyway, seeing as how you finally made it, uh, come along into the library. All right. Uh. We'll fortify ourselves with a brandy or three before I introduce you to the somewhat dubious delights of the snake pit. All right. Uh. <clears throat> there you go, then. Bye. Oh, I am sorry. Thank you. Hey, you're miles away. Yes, I'm just taking it all in. House? Yeah, impressive, isn't it? Beautiful, Charles. Cost me a pretty packet, I can tell you. Really beautiful. <laughs> Point taken. Yeah, you're quite right, of course. The heathen financier in me. Hmm. Always been under the impression they amounted to much the same thing. <laughs> anyway, here's to it. And to your health and to your house. Tell me about it. The Priory? Mm. Well, don't expect me to go into the full historic bit. But for all that, mentioned in the Doomsday, one of the gems of early English monastic architecture, you know the kind of thing. Well, I'm more than prepared to believe it. Yeah, the domestic conversions came later, but it's uh, still pretty exceptional. Anyway, I first fell in love with the place about five years back when I was a guest here at a party. Oh? A rather bizarre junkyard given by the wife of the then owner. Oh, I see. Well, I think she realised I rather coveted the place from the word go. And last season, we met up again in the south of France. She told me her lifestyle had changed somewhat since our last meeting, and uh, judging by the bevy of young Apollo she had in tow, I was more than prepared to believe it. <laughs> well, I eventually got round to the house, and she said that providing the figure was right, the place was mine for the asking. Well, it obviously was, then. Let's just say the contract was concluded to the mutual satisfaction of both parties, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> You're the same old child. So, here we are. Nine months later, and it's housewarming night on the old corral. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> Are you um, thinking of settling here? Mm, nothing mm. sure. Oh, you look skeptical. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. My eye. Well, you do have something of a reputation to live down, you know. Well, you must give me five marks for effort, <laughs> at the very least. I've already got so far as settling into the place, even quite a genuine English butler and a stable of splendid hunters. Yeah, every reason to be proud of my new country gentleman image, don't you think? Well, all you need now is a genuine English rose to complete the picture. Hmm. I'm working on it. You being serious? I am. The question is, is she? Oh, am I to meet her tonight? Oh, my dear fellow, here tonight, her blue-blooded parents would have 40 blue-blooded fits. Oh, then this is something of a, a last fling. Let's just settle for the last but one, shall we? All right, if you prefer. I most certainly do. Right, let's be having you then. Uh. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the snake pit. <laughs> My original misgivings about accepting Charles's invitation proved well justified. Along with the disguises I'd anticipated, in a matter of minutes I'd been introduced to a somewhat bibulous archbishop, an emaciated Theda Barra on the decline, and the oldest bunny girl in the business. Charles's come-as-you-are concession proved a somewhat dubious advantage. My conventional business suit 
seemed to generate the same degree of cool hostility as if I had elected to wear it at a convention of nudists. It was with a very positive feeling of relief that I eventually escaped the throng and sought out some corner strategically removed from the general merrymaking. The minstrel's gallery seemed perfect. Suitably fortified with a private bottle of Charles's excellent Dom Clico, I climbed to my remote perch as eagerly as any canary in its gilded cage, a positive refuge where I could ponder the idiot antics of my fellow man and consider myself well out of it. And so you are, old fellow, so you are well out of it. In the gloom of the gallery, I, I'd almost stumbled over the man. I managed a rather startled apology, but even when my eyes had grown accustomed to the darkness, the details of his physical appearance remained extremely vague. The quality of his voice, the spare, angular outline of the silhouette he presented, suggested someone of middle age, but then he could just as well have been a great deal older. Only for the briefest of instants was I positively aware of his pale, watery eyes, opaque behind the glint of his old-fashioned pince-nez. I hope I didn't startle you. Well, somewhat, I, I must confess. I, I didn't realize I was intruding. A temporary refuge from the madding crowd, eh? Yes, I... I know it must seem ungracious. Oh, to some it might. For my own part, well, given the option, I'd have been abed and asleep hours ago. <laughs> oh, won't you take a seat? Oh, thank you so much. Allow me to introduce On my... these occasions, formal introductions always strike me as superfluous. On top of which, I can't offer my hand... Oh? A somewhat unfortunate accident. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. If I were to fetch another glass... Oh, it could... doesn't agree with me. But, but why don't you? Oh, thank you. <clears throat> I'm glad to observe that one of us at least had the courage to refuse being bullied into dressing the part. Fancy dress. <laughs> As in some ways it might have been easier to oblige. <laughs> the proverbial sore thumb, eh? yes. <laughs> In my own case, well, well there was little option. Oh? My wife, you know. Huh? She positively revels in this kind of revel. <laughs> but possibly you've already observed her. Hmm. Titania in all her glory. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. It would be difficult not to. Well, extremely effective. Ridiculously pathetic. What? I can think of few sights so ludicrously tragic as a middle-aged siren aping the appearance and manners of a young girl half her age. Mm. Do I embarrass you? Well, I... Oh, you must forgive me, but her penchant for youth is so notorious, I now feel little reluctance to talk about it. Her companion this evening, for instance. Oh, you mean the young man in the costume you of have Harlequin? Him. Yeah. Though yeah. the appurtenances of a gigolo might have been more appropriate. Oh? Her darling boy of the moment. Luigi del Potrello. The name means nothing to you? Del Potrello. Oh, yes, it does sound familiar. In most circles, it has a certain notoriety. Ah. The Potrellos are Italian merchants. Oh, yes. Extremely wealthy, hideously flamboyant, and totally without any distinction, taste, or breeding. <laughs> right from the outset, my home seemed in a perpetual state of siege. 
billet doux by every post, secret assignations, ridiculously extravagant floral arrangements. Uh-huh. And then the ultimate indignity of having the scoundrel pay court under my very roof, to be made constantly aware of their asinine sniggerings, their barely concealed whisperings, their grotesque fondlings, the middle-aged lovebird and her twittering young chick. But it wasn't until he started implanting his obscene influence on the house itself that my anger and frustration reached full spate. Uh, How uh, obscene? Yes, obscene. Isn't it extraordinary how something as seemingly insignificant as a mirror mirror. can underline the absolute bathos of one's situation? Underline it with far greater emphasis than any of the indignities and infidelities that have gone before. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that I understand... You did say a a mirror? Yes, yes. one of his many gifts to her. A hideously ornate creation in the fashionable Florentine manner. You know the kind of thing. All gilt cupids, intricately entwined vine leaves. Yes, I'm afraid I do. (laughs) Exactly, my dear fellow. Mm. Needless to say, quite out of keeping with the sober antiquity of my own furnishings. But, But a token of regard from her own darling boy, don't you see? And as such, to be blatantly hung in a place of honor. It seemed suddenly as if he were trying to destroy the very fabric of our lives. Would it uh, be impertinent of me to inquire... What happened? Yes. No, but why not? It's probably common knowledge. The inevitable scene Mm. is the phrase that most readily springs to mind. But somehow, more significant than anything that had gone before... Oh, you're exaggerating as usual. I honestly don't think you realize the... the... gravity of the situation. <laughs> oh, come on, darling, say it. You can always be relied upon to trot out the obvious on these tedious occasions, can't you, my pet? The occasion, as you choose to call it, might be a good deal graver than you think. <laughs> oh, now you're beginning to sound much more like the old dodderer you really are. Well... Come on, darling, don't stop now. It's the well-known visit to the headmaster you had in mind, isn't it? If so, you are achieving it to perfection. (laughs) The darling boy really has excelled himself this time, hasn't he? Such an appropriate gift. A direct invitation to see yourself as you really are. So why the hell don't you tell your darling boy he can take his bloody mirror right back where it came from? We'll have to see, won't we, my pet? And was the mirror taken back? I presumed it must have been. I I certainly don't recall seeing the damn thing again. But then, quite suddenly, I... That's to say, we both had more important things on our minds. Oh? I'd spent the day at the British Museum doing some research... I got home to find my wife had been taken seriously ill. In effect, a minor heart attack. I could only conclude it was a direct result of trying to keep up with her dissolute gadfly. The doctor advised that complete rest was absolutely essential. He also emphasized that there must be no undue excitement or shock. Yes, he particularly stressed the last bit, or shock. Mm. 
Even as he said it, it sounded strangely significant. Why significant? Well, as it turned out, I... I'd stayed up reading very late one night. I must have dozed off. Because I was suddenly startled awake by a noise. It came from the head of the stairs. What kind of a noise? Mm, difficult to describe, but a sort of bump, I suppose. Mm. A, a slight trip, perhaps. The servants had retired hours before. There was only my wife. At least, I believed that to be the case. Until... Until... I heard their voices coming from my wife's bedroom. I recognized Luigi's laughter immediately. Then, after a while, there was only silence. I think that silence was the most difficult thing to bear of all. For the first time, I admitted to myself that I had lost my wife to Luigi forever. And your reaction... How can one describe? Resignation, love, jealousy, hate, yes. all at the same time. I wanted her dead. What? I needed her dead, but had no notion how I could achieve it. I'm not a courageous man, not even an artful man. I returned to the study, and there I saw something that seemed to suggest the perfect solution. Yes, go on. Shortly before her illness, I'd drawn my wife's attention to a book dealing with the medieval history of the house. Yes. Oh, needless to say, she'd discarded it halfway through, but there was one particular section that not only claimed her interest, but held it in a state of shocked disbelief I'd never witnessed before. It concerned a ghost. A ghost? Most historic homes seem to lay claim to one. Knowing my wife's somewhat nervous disposition, I'd previously kept ours something of a closely guarded secret. But now, no undue excitement or shock was what the doctor had said. There and then, I determined my ghostly inhabitant should serve his turn. Well, what kind of a ghost? The ghost of a Franciscan friar. <laughs> oh, the costume wasn't too difficult to improvise... A burnous, one of those Arab nightdress affairs, complete with hood, served my purpose to perfection. I put it on, lit a candle, left my study. I crossed the hall. The stairs creaked as I began to climb. I didn't mind. It only added to the theatricality of the scene I was about to enact. I could already imagine slowly opening the door of my wife's bedroom, hear her call out, Who's there? See the expression on her face as she watched in terror the spectre of the Franciscan friar loom towards her. Perhaps one brief, terrified scream. And then... I just reached the top of the stairs. It was about to cross the landing when I saw it. The actual spectre there, confronting me. The face shrouded in its hood. The candle flickering in its hand. The eyes deeply socketed, 
stared accusingly into mine. For a long moment, there was only disbelief at what I saw. And then, panic. I, I tried to move, but couldn't. I tried to scream out, but no voice came. Then, with a newfound volition of its own, my arm lashed out with the heavy brass candlestick I was holding, lashed out at the ghastliness of that grizzled face. God help me. In the name of Christ, somebody help me. For God's sake, man. Oh, my God, Charles. Charles. What the devil do you mean by slinking off like that? I'm, I'm sorry. Well? I turned towards my distraught storyteller, but he was gone, probably realizing he was in imminent danger of being forced back into the swinging multitude below. Oh, come along, man. Don't just hang around in the gloom. There's somebody special I want you to meet. From the far end of the library, Titania herself confronted me. She sat there enthroned in one of Charles's splendid high-backed chairs. Captain of our fairy band, mortals, darlings, close at hand. As she misquoted from the bard, Titania made very short work of a very large brandy. In view of my so recent conversation with her husband, I, I must have looked somewhat taken aback. She was not slow to notice the fact. Something worrying you, darling. Well, Charles... Charles, be a dear. Titania's running low on nectar. Mm. Well, darling, you were saying... Well, I, I do apologize. It's pure coincidence, of course, but I've had the pleasure of making your husband's acquaintance. My husband? Yes. You did say my husband? Yes. Oh, damn you, Charles. You haven't gone and told every Tom, Dick and Harry my little secret... You know, I particularly asked you to keep it strictly entre nous. Luigi would be furious. Luigi? But that isn't your husband. <laughs> oh, what a damn fool I am. Now I've gone and let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> oh, you must have been referring to that dreadful old dodder I was imbecile enough to spend the best years of my life with. Now, darling, we mustn't speak ill of the dead. The dead? Thank God. The best part of two years, isn't it, Charles? Even at the very end, the old dodder approved as parsimonious and mean-minded as he'd been all along. Still, he paid for it. One of the few comforting things in life is that one can always depend on getting exactly what one deserves. Or deserving exactly what one gets. Oh, Charles, darling, you are being cynical. Anyway, I must away. Luigi has gone missing, don't you know? It isn't that I don't trust the darling boy, darling. It's simply that I don't. Goodbye, Mr... Goodbye. Charles, darling. Oh, it's been bliss. But Titania, darlings, must away to live and fight another day. Now, what the hell was all that about? Charles, 
Tell me about him, her late husband. Edward. Was that his name? Well, I only met the old stick once, and then very briefly, on my first visit to the place. This place? Well, of course. This was his house. He died here. Where? Where exactly did he die? You know, you look really peaky. Answer the question, for God's sake. Please, Charles. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, at the head of the stairs. The stairs leading to the minstrel's gallery? Yes. And the circumstances? Oh, a bit unusual, really. It was Helen who found him. Apparently the old fool was on his way to bed, or got up in this ridiculous dressing gown thing of his when he spots this mirror. The mirror? At the head of the stairs? It was Luigi's mirror, wasn't it? Oh, has Darling Boy been telling you all about that Wasn't thing? it? Yes, a gift to Helen. The old boy raised such a stink about it, she locked it away at the back of a cupboard. Anyway, one night, after a somewhat torrid meeting with her darling boy, Luigi raises cane and insists on hanging it out in the open. Directly at the top of the stairs, so that anyone coming up them would be bound to see his own reflection, wouldn't he? Which is exactly what happened. Edward spots it, loses his temper, and smashes the thing to smithereens. Yeah, it was that that caused the heart attack, of course. Not to mention his hand. What about his hand? Well, severed. Quite severed. Extraordinary the violence that can be generated through a fit of jealousy, isn't it? I wish you'd have another brandy. Will you tell me what he looked like, Charles? Oh, Edward. Oh, do even better. Charles handed me a snapshot. It was faded, but I spotted him immediately. One face among many, but I'd have recognized it anywhere. Not because of any particular feature, but because there, staring out at me, were the same pale, watery eyes, opaque behind the glint of his old-fashioned pince-nez. I handed the photograph back. Oh, thanks. Well, might as well get rid of it. Oh. Not much point dwelling on the dead, is there? No. Not much. Charles invited me to stay the night. I automatically refused. Some weeks later, he suggested we meet up again before he left on a business trip to the continent. The Priory was again suggested as a rendezvous. But in view of what had gone before, at the very last minute, I switched it to my hotel dining room instead... The decor hideously modern, the food bad, the waiters rude, the place positively bulging with people. I wouldn't have had it any other way. That was Vincent Price bringing you The Price of Fear. Co-starring in Come As You Are was Maurice Perry with Betty Huntley-Wright and Peter Williams. Come As You Are was first recounted and dramatized by Bill Ingram and produced by John Dias. That was Come As You Are from The Price of Fear here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a recommendation from a listener who simply goes by S. 
Um, that was the signature on the email. And um, as Joshua alluded to, he uh, brought this to our attention and made some great points as to why he likes this episode. I think we should start there because I'm going to need to gather some information from everybody sure. before I start uh, spouting things. I would like to hear from S and you guys, and then we'll see where I stand at that I love that how point. you always make it sound mysterious, and every time you say that, it means you hated it, but yeah. you want to... Because uh, I want to make sure I'm not wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I am wrong, and at the end of these, I'll, I'll go, Art oh. is subjective, Eric. Right. You're not right, now, right or wrong. Right now where I stand, I have no idea... Uh, how I'm getting that 30 minutes back. I'm going to be on my <laughs> deathbed, and I'm going to be mad that I don't have 30 more minutes on this planet to watch, like... Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes. for <laughs> Something like that. This is so much better than any episode of Hogan's Heroes. So we'll, we'll tell me, Tell me why I should like this. Oh, you shouldn't like it. You can like whatever you want. I shouldn't phrase it as Tell me right why wrong. you like it. No, first, I'm going to share this really interesting observation okay. from our listener who sent this. In some respects, it is quite apropos in that you, meaning this podcast, and he, Vincent Price, serve a similar function. While you lot experience horror tales and comment after the fact, in the show, Price experiences horror and comments concurrently with the telling of the tale. In most episodes, he is as much audience to the proceedings as we are. The one guy, I apologize for not knowing names, but he means you, Eric, <laughs> surely can object to relaying horror in a relatable, sometimes personal, and sometimes corny fashion. This show included your own role before it existed. Oh, that is interesting. What do you think, the one guy? <laughs> That's your new name. <laughs> Hi, I'm Joshua, I'm Tim, and I'm one guy. I'll give you this. It is simple. It's a simple premise. There was no twist. It took, I believe, four and a half hours to get to the castle. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of what am I going to wear and how am I going to get out of this party going on for a long time before he actually sat down and had a conversation with the ghost, which is the crux of this, right? I totally see now where our opinions diverge because I totally know that is your, your aesthetic and vibe of like there's a plot somewhere in here. We should get to it. Uh, yeah. And that I am like, oh, I'm sitting with Vincent Price and we're he's just talking about Anything. parties and don't want to wear I, I love all the dithering at the beginning. The first half is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> all the dithering. It's so much dithering. <laughs> There's a lot of dithering. Mm, yeah. But it does, to pick up the point from our listener, is it invites you into... Vincent Price's world and sort of allows you to get comfortable with him and to feel like this is just a story about Vincent Price. And I, to, to some degree, I think it lulls you into this false sense of either security or anger if you're that one guy. <laughs> is this going to get to any sort of supernatural ghost story? So I think it actually, I could be wrong, hides a little bit the fact that he's talking to a ghost at first. It took me a little bit to 
tweak that. I think once he gets into his story and we start going deeper into it, I realize like, okay, this is a mysterious figure. This is going to have something to do with the house and everything. But when he first bumps into him in the dark and he also wants to be away from this party, he could be meeting a weird murderer. Well, he, he I, ends up being a weird murderer. I, I, You know it's something creepy, but I didn't immediately go, oh, ghost. I assumed as soon as he wouldn't shake his hand, eh, ghost. Yeah. Mm. Um, even though I he did, said, I don't have a hand. Yeah, it wasn't just because I don't have a hand. And won't, uh, I don't drink. And I went, this is a ghost. He can't drink and he doesn't, yeah. And I just, I um, knew immediately it was and was just praying that it wasn't by the end. Like, please give me something else other than what it is, is that he's having a conversation with a ghost. Do you think that's where the twist is? I don't think that's where the twist is. I don't think there I is I think any the show twist. is very comfortable. I don't think there is. assume it's a ghost at whatever point you do. Yeah, right. What yeah, what made me enjoy it, and what, for me, all the aspects of it that were not just there for me to be delighted are it really establishes this is Vincent Price. You know Vincent Price. He's your buddy. He's a real guy. And then by the end, even though I know like plot beats, this guy's probably a ghost. By the end, I'm like, oh my god, Vincent Price talked to a ghost. <laughs> my buddy, Vincent Price. <laughs> That was the part that didn't impact for me. Was I was I was so invested in Vincent Price as a credible narrator. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the point of the opening half is to establish him as a credible narrator, a narrator who does not want to be there. <laughs> That's what makes you believable. Are you at a party you don't want to be there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's over the age of 45 right away. You know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> no one over the age of 45 is at a party they want to be at. No. There is my own <laughs> birthday party. <laughs> you put maybe on the Facebook event? Here's what hooked <laughs> I would. <laughs> Here's what hooked me in, though. And this is something I had never heard expressed anywhere else. It's a feeling I have always had ever since I started performing as a very young man is the idea that Vincent Price expresses at the top of, like, I'm an actor. I get dressed up for a living. I have no desire to show up at a ridiculous, fancy dress. And I like performing ruined Halloween for me. I'm like... You're Correct. not paying yep. me to put on this ridiculous costume? Then no thank you. Correct. <laughs> I have not done Halloween for 30 years because of being an actor. What's your costume? I'm a guy wearing this shirt. Right. Yeah. And when you are around other people in costumes, they're usually good costumes. You're not, well, how does he describe them? Like paunchy Tarzan and uh, right. bibulous archbishop or whatever. I'll tell you what, though. I carry a Chewbacca costume around in my car just in case you have 150 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that came across as you think it does. Uh, I think it came across exactly how he wanted it to. 150 to, bucks is 150 bucks. You need me to perform? I'll throw something on. <laughs> but unless you're paying me, nope. But to your complaint, like if There's if you're not on board with uh, debonair, chatty, witty... Vincent Price, and there's a lot in here that's just going to be like white noise to you. Oh, and I love the language in this, which I know Eric's like, oh, why don't you say, look, ghost over there? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want Tarzan narrating it. (laughs) Paunchy Tarzan narrating it. The Tarzan of fear, that'd be so good. Uh, but I love stuff like their asinine sniggerings, their barely conceded whisperings, their grotesque fondlings, the middle-aged lovebird and her twittering young chick. Like, I just 
I revel would... in that kind of ridiculous over the top language. And that's the other thing is this sets the stage for that with Vincent Price. Like you accept that those are the circles he moves in is mm. all people who talk like that. Right. I agree with all that. I think it's it's well written. I don't mind any of that. Don't back down. I absolutely guarantee that 80% of our audience <laughs> agrees with you. So you don't have to back down. I'm not backing up. I'm that just is a... describing why I Right. Like... I think for, if that was a book, yeah, it's really interesting, well written. And then I had the book read to me by Vincent Price, which Tim is like, yay! <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> He's my this... best friend. But everything in this is nothing more than a book on tape. It is true that... It's, it's a little it's a, weird, those moments they step out and, and do... A what, scene over yeah, summer. Yeah, uh-huh. It's what breaks the realistic convention of we're having a conversation, is that it's... My description of this is so vivid, you can actually hear my wife's voice. Right. I think it's a really effective jump scare when we've switched from summary to scene of mm, yeah, yeah. the ghost, I forget his name, at the top of the stairs, and he's attacking the mirror, and he cries out, and then it cuts to... Uh, the owner of the priory right. crying out, the owner my of the God, what? what are you doing? The owner of the what? The priory. priory. Hmm. See, that why is... can't... The home, the house. But it's a very specific type of house and era, and it was a house for clergy, I believe, a priory ah. is. Um, and so they were having a and so, drunken like... costume party for the clergy <laughs> house? <laughs> That's clergy what originally... love to get dressed up and party. <laughs> well, we know that now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, regret that one. Oh, man. So how often do you have to get the Chewbacca costume out when you're driving by a priory? <laughs> Every damn time. Uh, I love uh, double entendres or sexually suggestive lines done in high diction. <laughs> I find it incredibly funny. And uh, there is this one moment when the ghost is describing uh, Luigi and how much he hates him and he says it was not until he started planting his long paws and then you're like okay funny joke and then he goes obscene and there's another long pause (laughs) influence on the house itself uh, (laughs) well done ghost yes now (laughs) have either of you played Luigi's Mansion yes I have (laughs) what is it is it a video game? It's a video game. Is it featuring Mario's Mario? brother Luigi oh. fighting ghosts in a mansion? In a priory. In a priory. <laughs> and by fighting, I mean vacuuming them up. Nope, never played it. Inspired by this story. Is it, really? <laughs> no. Nope. Oh. Is it better than this story? It'd be better if it had Vincent Price in it. Do you know what I've taken to doing, by mm. the way? And I've lost my mind. There are people that are so good at video games that they record themselves going through everything really fast, Mm -hmm. I find that more satisfying than actually playing the game. And then I think, what am I doing watching this person play (laughs) the video game? Oh, playthroughs are extremely popular. It's weird to me. Like, I'll catch myself. It's gratifying. I mean, especially if you Because I don't have to start over every 10 seconds because I die. And you, like, I get to this cliff and I jump and I jump and I jump and I die and I die and I die just to watch a video of somebody jump, 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 perfect, fine. It's anxiety release. Yeah, that's why I don't play video games. Or I go on and I find the cheat codes, so Invincible, Endless Lives. I tell you what, Medal of Honor is really funny. You can walk right up to Nazis, look them in the face, they keep shooting you, nothing happens. (laughs) Where are we now? Oh, right, right. Back to this book on tape. So, um, yeah, so this guy for 20 minutes, let me get this straight, struggles with if he wants to go to the party or not, then he gets there and he talks to a 
ghost well, I, that we know is a ghost. Here. He wanted to go to a party, things. got an invitation, <laughs> didn't go. Some guy comes and begs him to go. Calls him in the middle of the night. <laughs> and then complains that he was on the phone in the middle of the night. <laughs> <sighs> yes, they, they really gild the lily on this opening. <laughs> Which I love so I'm, much. I've listened to, now, we're 20 minutes into this podcast, right? Something like that? Something like that. You have done nothing to make me think that I don't hate this. (laughs) And usually by this point, the two of you have got me to a point where I go... Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Well, no, there's no way you would love this if you don't love Vincent Price. So I we, love Vincent Price. Mm, not like not I enough. love Vincent <laughs> 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 Apparently not. So, like, okay, I love Shatner, and God only knows why. But it, 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 Fantastic actor. I'd go to the wall for him. Sure. but uh, An amazing comedian. Sure. Whatever. If it's terrible, I'm not going to just say, well, it's Shatner, so I'm just on board. Just because I love him. Skylab Are You There is a great example yes. of, of, uh, of Shatner being terrible and I couldn't sit through because it. Because it wasn't written to accentuate everything you love about William Shatner the way this is written to accentuate <laughs> right, everything right. Okay. that Tim and I love about Vincent Price. Right. Uh, Vincent Price could not save Skylab. That's true. Can you hear me or whatever the heck it was called? <laughs> we, we've never been able to figure out it's the like, name of that. I always confuse it with Tommy. Can you hear me? <laughs> I was saying Papa. Can you hear me? But, oh yeah, all the Can you hear me's or Margaret are you there? Yeah. It's, it's, God, no, that's not how that goes. <laughs> Uh, but what do you think of our listeners' comment about, like, set aside this particular episode, but sure. uh, Price of Fear as a whole, that we are getting this sort of bonus commentary on these classic horror stories uh, by Vincent Price, that he is he's kind of doing a stealth horror podcast in the form of The Price of Fear. I guess I see that. I'm not quite on board with that connection in the sense that He's a narrator of a story mm-hmm. telling the story of how he talked to a ghost. Any narrator in that argument of a horror story is commenting then on a horror story. Yeah. I think the difference is that Vincent Price is a personality, the way sure. podcasters sure. become, right? And sure. people get to know them. They're like, hey, that one guy hates Price of Fear. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just part of their shtick. I don't think... Maybe I'm not forgiving because he won't learn my name. <laughs> you bothered to learn his letter. Yeah. Yeah. I bothered to remember your name, S. Specifically to the way Vincent Price comments on these stories, it's for me part of the entertainment that he is almost always only mildly flustered by yes. horror. Yeah, he doesn't bring any sort of moral perspective to the story beyond a little bit of like, oh my, <laughs> yeah. well, that's rude. Oh, we're <laughs> like, eating people. Yeah, exactly. Back to specialty. <laughs> like, well, I yeah. think I'm just going to have my pie and leave. Right? Yeah. And he's personally creeped out by the experience at the Priory so that he will not return there. So creeped out that he would rather sit have in the forfeit. vulgar... Hotel modernly Russell. designed hotel restaurant uh, that is just service. Oh. packed with people. He's just disgusted by the presence <laughs> of other human beings <laughs> in this restaurant. <laughs> Maybe I like Vincent Price so much because I want to be Vincent Price. You kind of are. I kind of am. I yeah. don't like people. You eat other people <laughs> all the time. Don't mind it. The one thing that... You love priori parties. <laughs> 
you would have to enjoy guacamole with mayonnaise to be Vincent Price. <laughs> that jackass. That was terrible. I will never forgive my best friend Vincent Price. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I feel like Stan Lee. <laughs> Smiling uh, Stan. Smiling, you got to put a little thing in the bottom right now. See Morals episode 182. Where, where did we eat the Vincent Price guacamole? It was in a 2021 award show. Okay. So you can go listen to that and then you get this. Smile and stand. We'll wait for you. <laughs> Are you back? Good. Let's move on. Or you can guess what our reaction was to guacamole with mayonnaise. The last thing I will say about this is it is for sure Vincent Price that makes me enjoy this so much. But there's also a wit to the descriptions of various things. I love when he gets drawn back into the study to meet uh, the ex-wife of the ghost who's dressed as... Titania. Titania, who she's angry because she misquotes Shakespeare and makes short work of a very little brandy or whatever he describes it. And her, like, in a small handful of lines, like, that is a heck of a character that woman is playing. Yes. Beautiful, broad, large strokes. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, if you are not invested in character, language, and Vincent Price then, yeah, you're out. I totally acknowledge that. Another way in which I plugged into this was when I was sort of shaking hands with this episode. Uh, it oh, was but he like, can't shake hands. <laughs> That's right. Oh, oh clever. Struggling to shake hands with this handless episode. It became like, oh, this is a ghost story. Oh, this is just an old chestnut ghost story. This is I, I know what's happening. I know where I am. I know what's happening. I'm very happy and comfortable here. Should we shock people with our votes? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, to not put too fine a point on it, and because th- there's no reason to just beat something to death, obviously uh, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, I didn't enjoy it uh, at all. <laughs> not at all. Although I will say there's some great, fun, wonderful descriptive writing that I th- did like, but again, it was more like having a book read to me. And nothing much really happened. I really enjoyed this. Obviously, I think it it does not quite make my favorite Price of Fear. But that's not because this is not so great. But it's because uh, The Man Who Hated Scenes is so good. Um, <laughs> I quite like Specialty of the House, too. But it's it makes me love the series as a whole even more. Just to know that there's another good old one in there. Yeah, I think this is a great litmus test mm-hmm. of, of an episode of... The Price of Fear. I don't know that I would agree with our listener that this is one of the strongest of the series, but if you don't find at least a little something to enjoy in this, there's probably a not a lot in the series as a whole for you to like. It's a test. Yep, I um, agree with that assessment. Absolutely. Yeah. But it does have one of the things I, that I we already mentioned it, but that I really love about The Price of Fear is that Price is always more interested in the aesthetics of the story. By that, I mean the producers and writers are more interested in the aesthetic of the story as well. So we don't get a lot of heavy-handed moral lessons, uh, which is interesting when you do something like a classic ghost story like this, where usually there is a a pretty strong kind of moral, like somebody did something wrong. Yeah, just on paper, you think the the moral is this guy was hoisted his own petard because he was so jealous, and the, the actual nuts and bolts of his story are not really the point. Yeah, I mean, there is that great quip about how, like, uh, we all 
deserve what we get, something along yes. those lines. And there's some truth in that that everyone does. You know, the ghost deserved the heart attack he got. Titania deserves a husband she can't trust because remember she rushes out of the study because she's <laughs> lost track of where Luigi is and he's chasing somebody. Chasing Charlie's a kind of a jerk. Here. He deserves a haunted priory. And, uh, you know, Vincent Price deserves to have to eat in that ugly, <laughs> ugly restaurant. So right. everyone has learned their lesson, darn it. But What's yeah, that, right? I, I think this is not a classic of old time radio. It's not a classic of Price of Fear, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. And if you love Vincent Price, it stands the test of Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, tell him stuff. Hey, go visit ghoulishdelights.com, the excellent website that we have from the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society here. Um, you can find other episodes there, vote in polls, leave comments, link to uh, our, our social media pages. You can also uh, click on our Threadless store, the link to that, buy some swag, or find our patreon page yes go to patreon.com slash the morals and for goodness sake support this podcast uh it really helps us to continue you know doing this podcast and in exchange you will receive all kinds of benefits we have monthly happy hours where we get together on zoom with our patrons we do a semi-monthly mysterious old book club where we read a book and you guessed it discuss that book together on zoom we have all sorts of bonus podcasts secrets of the mysterious old radio cliffhangers of doom besides the mysterious old radio come on stop being a cheapskate and join us (laughs) (laughs) and if you'd like to see us performing live we do recreations and a lot of our own original audio theater Live on stage, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company produces shows monthly. And you can find out where we're performing every month by going to ghoulishdelights.com or you can go to uh, mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com and there you'll see where we're performing and what we're performing this month. And if you can't be there, well, we film them. And if you're a Patreon, you get to watch it anyway. So uh, if you're not from this area and you'd like to see it, just become a Patreon. That's how you can see us doing shows right right Right. i get all that right yeah sure 280 times you think i'd be assured that i'm doing that right (laughs) i would think so what are we doing next uh next is my choice we're returning to the adventures of ellery queen for an episode titled number 31 till then look out god help in the name of christ somebody help me For God's sake, man. Oh, my God, Charles. Oh, my God. Vincent Price talked to a ghost. (laughs) My buddy.